Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff. And today, I have a special guest with us, and I honestly couldn't think of a better time to have him on the show with everything that's happening around us. I have correspondent producer for PBS NewsHour Weekend, Chris Booker. How are you doing, Chris? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm excited to have you on and appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show. Uh, I know we're all working remotely, so we have a little bit of flexibility, ready to you know, really get this show on the road and have an exciting conversation. Uh, really quick before I introduce the topics, I want to take a shout out to everybody and all the listeners, our subscribers and social media followers across the world in all 50 plus countries. Really appreciate you guys' support, continuing to like, share, subscribe, and spread the word about the same show. Really means a lot. You guys are have been a great deal of help and continue to help elevate the same show platform. So if you're listening and you're not following the same show, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at the same underscore show. That's same S-A-N-E underscore show. And then you can find us on Facebook. The Sane Show. Again, on Facebook, The Sane Show. So today, we're going to be talking about the importance of public broadcasting. We're also going to talk about the news, something that everybody's talking about right now, even as we record this. And then following that, we're going to have our interview with Chris so that the listeners can learn more about you, your career in the news business, and your time at PBS NewsHour, and all the exciting things that go along with that. So let's go ahead and hop right into it with the importance of public broadcasting. And you know, we were having a conversation about this you know, prior to the recording. And you know, one of the things I mentioned to you that I love most about public broadcasting is unbiased programming and the public being able to have access to content, especially you know, we were talking about you know, people being without cable and only being able to get, I guess you would call the local channels and PBS definitely being one of those channels. And also, again, you know this being with PBS NewsHour Weekend, people also still being able to stay informed through the news programming that's available through PBS. And then obviously, one of the things I love about PBS and one of the things that PBS has had an impact on me growing up, you know, is that the programming being you know, very educational very insightful. There's always something that you can find right. on PBS that you can get some sort of value out of, whether it be Absolutely. about nature, cooking, like a lot of stuff yeah. on there. And that, I think, in a way, is is such a great kind of endorsement of the mission because America is filled with so many different people with so many different interests, and that they've been able to assemble this channel that is able to kind of bring everyone to the table in different varieties and, and fashions. You know, I know my entrance to PBS start, started as many did, and that was with Sesame Street as a kid. Uh, but then as I got older, I started to see a lot of their documentary programming. And then as I made my way through college, I became obsessed with Frontline just to see these documentary programs that I just had not really been that exposed to. Documentary in particular kind of hit me over the forehead when Hoop Dreams came out in 1994 and I just didn't know much about documentary but I somehow got my hands on Hoop Dreams and I loved Hoop Dreams 
And then I just okay. couldn't get enough documentary. And so the natural outlet for me to get that was PBS. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just was once I discovered like, wow, this, this, this isn't just Sesame Street. They, they have all this amazing documentary content. I was right. hooked for life. You, you just made me think of someone else, Bob Ross. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves Bob Ross. Yeah. He's a cultural icon, too. Yeah, Not yeah absolutely. He, you know, Sesame Street, another... Totally. Uh, well, and uh, you know what's interesting? And This isn't... They have a, a digital production house, PBS does, and mm-hmm. they've done these amazing digital shorts where they did these remixes. Did you ever see any of these? They have, like, a Bob Ross remix, and they have a Mr. Rogers remix, where this very clever producer went through and did found clips of... Bob Ross talking and then auto-tuned them and created a whole song with them. <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's amazing. The Mr. Rogers one is unbelievable. It's a whole song. Mr. Rogers actually singing it auto-tuned. <laughs> it's it's so good. It's so good. That sounds. Yeah. I love it. That sounds like something that that I would be into. Oh, I yeah, so good. That sounds especially like knowing my generation. I mean, the kind of stuff oh, yeah. we put on YouTube and mixing things together. I mean, come on, yeah. Bob Ross and, yeah. and Mr. Yeah. Rogers. <laughs> yeah, the match so right there. And there's a there's a Julia Child one as well. That's it's really good. That's um, cool. Yeah, and they have this other great series called Blank on Blank, where they would take these old interviews and then they would animate them, and they're they're quite good. You know, that's what I'm saying. It's always this amazing kind of combination. I think of PBS in general is this incredible combination of kind of mild contemporary but with a firm backbone in the tradition so the tradition of storytelling of substance and and a little dash of style which is what i really appreciate too one of the things that came to mind and i'm sure a lot of people don't really think about it when we talk about pbs like it is a and correct me if i'm wrong but a federally funded broadcasting system Yes, but it's it's interesting. So the money that it comes through the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and mm-hmm. it's a complicated mix. But so the money that comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting doesn't go to say pay for Frontline or pay for the PBS NewsHour. What it really does is it goes to support the local stations. So stations that maybe don't have a large donor base or uh, need that federal support. So I know certain stations will get greater percentage of money from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Mm -hmm. And there again, this is an incredible part of the mission because, sure, we can have these great marquee national shows, but it's also a place where cities can have local programming, programming places where they can have debates amongst candidates running for city council or, you know, local programming that's reflective of the community that they're in. And that's where the Corporation for Public Broadcasting money comes in and and is essential. One of the things I was thinking about is, and that I appreciate about PBS is that it's not clouded. It doesn't sway one way or the other, right? There, There's not no. an agenda. Mm-mm, you can go all. to that and watch any content on there and know that it's neutral. Absolutely. And that's In a lot the of ways, best thing about it. I think go it ahead. kind of, ref- there's this great quote about, I, I'm going to, I don't remember who it's from. But it's essentially like a great newspaper is essentially the country having a conversation with itself. And I feel right. that PBS is well within that tradition. This is a station and outlet where America can have its conversation, where we can celebrate things, everything from Ken Burns, every single epic <laughs> documentary series right. he's done, to a current affairs show like the PBS NewsHour and the PBS NewsHour Weekend, to mm-hmm. arts and culture 
pieces to documentary. There's really no, there's no, it's not even a competition, but there's no peer in that space. I agree wholeheartedly because you talk about the, the local stations mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about here in Charlotte, ours is WTVI mm-hmm. that serves our region of the state. I just think about when I watch that, like I, I watch that and I, especially when you talk about the quote you were referring to as far as like the country having a conversation with itself. Like when I watch that, I honestly feel more connected with right. my state. Definitely. Because I watch that and I'm, you know, there's different things on there about all these various parts of North Carolina from the urban to the rural and everything yeah. in between. And I watch it and I'm just like, wow, that's yeah. cool. Absolutely. You know, I'm, yeah. And, and being yeah. able, because one of the things that I believe in, it's important to be able to bridge the gap between people in different areas because yet we live in the same country and even in like this different states and people are in within close proximity of each other, but they're very different as far as their lifestyles and things of that mm-hmm. nature. So I think it's important that there's something there that can educate people and be able to bridge that gap, make that connection and be able to bring those people together and for them to look at one another and say, wow, that's interesting. Absolutely. I'll look into that some more. And I think PBS on the local level and the national level does a great job of trying to bridge that gap. Well, I always yeah, think it, that, that one of the quests, especially when we're headed out to report a story, is I always think of my stories in a way that you're trying to tell a big story through a small window. So in a lot of ways, you're trying to find representations that are maybe, quote unquote, would be considered smaller, but are able to shed light on bigger ideas. And one of the aspects that comes up again and again, we, we often end up in city council meetings. And to me, it's astonishing how consequential these meetings are, but how essentially uncelebrated they become within the national dialogue. You know, within mm-hmm. the national dialogue, we're, we're constantly talking about what's happening at the House and who's mad at who and what the president said and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it's, it's exciting almost as a sport, but for a political perspective, the far more almost immediate consequence happens in those city council meetings. Right. Sure, what happens at the na- <laughs> in the national space is very important and hugely yeah. consequential, consequential. But the way that people really feel it is in those city council meetings. And those are basically universal across the country. That is so true. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. I cannot wait for people to hear this because <laughs> I tell people all the time, like, especially when we talk about voting, right? Yes, right. okay, you should go out and vote in the, in the primary and you should go out and vote in the general election, but don't forget about the state level. Absolutely. Don't forget about the local, the, right. the state, the county, the city, because yeah. that has more of a direct effect on you and that you're going to, you're going to feel that a lot quicker. Absolutely. And I will, will. I, I will, I will add that being in those city council meetings or being in the state house meetings, it, you know, you never know if, if they're, if people are behaving more because the cameras are there, but I will say it doesn't seem nearly as, as uh, cantankerous as we see on the national mm-hmm. side. You know, it seems like there's a lot more cooperation going on and a lot less division when you get down a bit lower, oh, yeah. lower. That's definitely true. <laughs> We've witnessed that here 
when we see people go up higher in the, yeah. on the food chain. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right, now we're back. We're going to start the second topic. We're going to talk about the news. I'm super excited about this. With everything going on, COVID-19, coronavirus, the pandemic, however you guys want to refer to the, obviously the, a large portion of the conversation has been around the news and the reporting of all of this. Honestly, it's fitting that you and I are having this conversation, Chris, as far as just the news in general. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about is the importance of the news and obviously the news particularly in this situation, having a very critical role in what's going on right now. Right. On top of that, the current state of the news and then the power that the news does have. Again, especially in times like this, where people need to be informed and people need to know what's going on. And people are wanting to know, like people that don't even watch the news, Mm-hmm. regularly i'm pretty sure are watching are glued to their yeah. tvs and picking up the newspapers and reading the headlines everywhere they go right um, what are some of your thoughts well i think we're it's interesting because the the news media seems to enter these phases when you have these major major events and this phase that we're in now is is a utility phase and this phase is really clear. You have a clear mission, and that is to inform the public to and the best you can and the best of your abilities so that they can basically stay safe at this point. And I can't think of any other time in my career where it's been so apparent that that's where we, where we are. It's often said that the news media is uh, journalism is the first draft, first rough draft of history. And in this case, we're not even there. We are simply saying, okay, this is what we know so far, and this is what uh, the experts are telling us uh, should be done. And you have to know, you have to feel it that uh, in some ways, you hope that this is helping people make uh, at least these beginning informed decisions. You know, but for full honesty, you know, I'm just as confused as everyone else right now because this is such un- unprecedented territory. You know, if we had had this conversation a week ago, it probably wouldn't have felt as maybe surreal. If we had had this conversation two weeks ago, it would have been entirely different. I don't think it's hyperbolic to say, though, and this contradicts a bit what I just said, that I think we as a country are going to be talking about what life was like before Corona. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. One of the things I'm I'm thinking about, too, because, again, being in the being the situation is what it is right now one of the things i think about because it's it's serious right and yeah. state of emergency and trying to keep everyone informed and most importantly keep everyone safe right everybody doing their part to to stop the spread i guess is there a point where you, i cuz sometimes i feel like that at a certain point after a certain point the news media has to get on the offensive or I'm not even going to say has to get on the offensive, but they, they kind of get on the offensive and it's like, we're okay. It's more than the reporting. Now it's like, we have to kind of help take action and do the best thing for the public on top yeah. of keeping them informed and helping keep them safe. Yeah. You, well, it's, you see, go ahead. yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like that's kind of a through line that exists 
even in the normal times where you're you're mm-hmm. trying to you're trying to do your best to present things as you've reported them. And on the other hand, I never feel I always kind of make this silly baseball analogy in that each story I report, I would love to hit a home run that changes laws or somehow makes someone's life better. But at the end of the day, I shouldn't swing. I always swing for home runs, but I'm happy when you get a base hit. <laughs> you right, know, right. if you guests are kind of just working it away and just keep presenting the, the the information that you have in a kind of sober way, that tends to help. But in this case, I think the the sirens of alarm at first seemed, okay, is the media just blowing this up? Is this just another giant snowstorm that's going to, they're telling us is going to come and it's not going to come. And it, it wasn't the case. I think the alarm was warranted. And I think, unfortunately, the alarm wasn't rung early enough by enough people. You know, I think that for whatever, there's a lot of blame to go around that will be analyzed later. But I think uh, collectively as a country, what we're seeing is some real cracks in so many of the systems that we've taken for granted for so long. Our healthcare system, which is obviously widely hailed, but also criticized before this, but we're seeing so many of the issues that we've kind of been talking about and talking about addressing. And now we're in such a critical space that we really should have maybe focused more. And that being said, that you know, maybe the media didn't do enough. Maybe we didn't do enough when this was happening in China. Maybe we didn't do enough when it had started to, to spread to Korea. And look, and it's really hard to know. You, you bring up a good point, though, as far as when we talk about the alarms not being rang early enough. Mm-hmm. I thought about what you had said as far as, okay, we, we take what we get from the experts. Right. So it's like it's a chain of communication. Mm-hmm. And I mean, especially you have all the you have various different news outlets, you know, and like I mentioned earlier, as far as the news, the different news outlets. And I, you know, a lot of people believe in that they have their agenda, mainly the cable ones. But even with that being said, it's like they can only report so much. And right. right. You don't want to raise the alarm on something and then. It, it may Get not it wrong. be right yeah. exactly. Yeah, and I know me as I a know. as a as a viewer because and and that's why I like having these kind of conversations with people that actually do the work because and through this platform I I hope that people get the same insight that I do because it kind of makes you take a step back right mm-hmm. and say huh yeah how much can we how much blame can we put on them. Well, I mean, this is a funny thing now because I think we're all, you know, this is so new and it's so Mm -hmm. clearly transformative and we're all just trying to find our footing. And I think it's our natural human instinct to say, okay, who's responsible for this? Who has made me feel so unsafe? And there's no single person, no single entity that we can look to. I mean, I just went to the grocery store tonight for the first time in a week. And it was so bizarre because we have to wait outside in a line and they have cones set up and you have to be six feet apart from everyone. And they give you uh, plastic gloves and then you, they spray down your cart and then you go in. And all through this little store are signs to say, you know, keep six feet away. Now, fortunately, the shelves were stocked. But every time someone would kind of come down my aisle, 
we both would look at one another and then kind of turn in the opposite direction of each other, <laughs> you know, and it's just so, it's so counter to, I think, our human instinct. And there's a real feeling and a want and a need right now to be, to try to find, okay, who made me feel this way? Who or what made me feel this way? And that's, that's not the news media's business, but I think that's kind of where we all are in this right. new, very new world. I'm pretty sure once the news finds out that it's going to get reported. <laughs> Potentially. Yeah. I mean, there are, there, there are, it's incredibly frustrating that the United States didn't have its tests ready. It's yeah. I think that is going to be one of the major, major posts and piece part parts of the post analysis. Oh yeah. That we, we were in the quote unquote fortunate position in that there were travel restrictions put in place for people coming from the infected countries that bought us a few extra weeks. But the fact that the tests weren't being produced en masse, it just blows your mind, you know? So when I say this is going to be one for the history books. Oh yeah. Is <laughs> no, no pun intended on yeah. that one. So yeah. Uh, but... On the other, on the other hand, this is where it's an interesting idea from when you're talking about the media. I do feel fundamentally, and this is of take it or leave it. Fundamentally, the, this isn't the time for blame. It's it is all hands on deck, all utility. How can we contribute to people making smarter choices, making informed choices that will ultimately, hopefully, save lives? That's that's very true. And you know, this kind of reminds me of the conversation I was having a few weeks ago with one of the writers for GQ magazine and mm -hmm. uh, she's a freelance writer and she was talking about, you know, smaller publications and independent outlets and how they, they don't get the support that they need. Right. And they're not getting mm -hmm. the attention and the people, the consumers aren't listening to them. Yeah. So when I think about, cause you know, this is to my last point I wrote down in my notes, as far as the, the power of news and, you know, keeping mm -hmm. people informed, like, this is your time, right? This is the yeah. time for all of these people to shine. All of these yeah. people or these, these independent publications, the small, lesser known ones that were being, a lot of them being ignored mm -hmm. and discredited. This is their time to step up and really show yeah. that, well, they, that they have something to say and that they have something of value, the news to the consumers that, that need it right now yeah i mean there's i think there's a real duality at play mm -hmm. as it pertains to contemporary media and on one hand it's really fantastic that we have such a larger space for more voices i mean mm -hmm. obviously it's not it's this isn't a revelation but the fact that so much of the media was white men for so long is what really kind of left so many people and so many perspectives out of the conversation. And I think that's what's great about what's happened within the contemporary media is that you've had not only a increased avenues for new publications, but you've had an, a substantial increase in the conversation about, okay, who are our editors? Who are our people that are greenlighting stories? Who are people that are kind of helping to shape that? And then the duality of that is the other side of that, which is, I think, confusing when you go back to say 1980, this was the peak of, of network cable news or network news. So you had essentially three stations: ABC, C CBS, and NBC. 
And mm-hmm. the nightly news was watched by 50 million Americans. So three stations divided up 50 million Americans. Now we're the three basically divide. I think the latest is like almost 20 million. So it's been you know decimated. But then in the, the cable news arena, the plates are divvied up even more. So we've had this kind of silo effect where, okay, Fox News has its one, one and a half to two million viewers a night. MSNBC has its one million. CNN has its 1.5. So everyone's kind of in their corner. Whereas 40 years ago, you had this smaller delivery, but I think you'd have a more unified message. And the irony being what I said the first part, it was a message that was largely delivered by white men. But in cases where you have this, this kind of huge global event where we need utility information that's agreed upon, I don't necessarily think it would have been as confusing. You know, when you have Fox News, the network of Fox News and people on their station calling it a democratic hoax a week ago, a week and a half ago, it just blows the mind. That wouldn't have happened in 1980. Right. I agree. That's (laughs) why you that's a that's a really solid point right there that that spoke to me. That really did. You know, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't have. And I think that that's where it's, it's confusing because on the other hand, I think the greater number of outlets is, has brought more voices to the, to the arena, which is a plus, but the downside is that means you've got spaces that sometimes make it the conversation, get more into a um, argument. (laughs) Right. That's, that's true. It's very true. All right, now for the interview. Uh, we've been having a really great conversation, very, I would say, insightful and enlightening uh, conversation. Hopefully, you know, the listeners are, and I know they are, uh, getting a lot out of this, especially, again, with everything that's going on around us. But I want to definitely go ahead and jump to the interview with you, Chris, so that the listeners can learn more about you and more about the work that you do there at PBS uh, Weekend News Hour and also your career in the news business. So to go ahead and kick it off with the first question, what are some of the most important things you've learned being in the news business? That's a really good question. I think that this is going to sound like such a cliche, but I think that everyone has a story and by and large, everyone is kind of motivated by the exact same things. They want security and they want to be loved and heard. I mean, it sounds a little kumbaya, but it's really true. I mean, I, I find that I've, everywhere I've been, it's just amazing how people seem to really have the same impulses. There's a real pride of place. People love to show you where they're from and to show you what they love about the place that they're from. And I just kind of try to remember that all the time, especially when I'm feeling frustrated by, I don't know, things that are happening that I'm not even near. It just, you know, there's just, there's so many more, there's so much more that, about us that is uh, that we have in common than than not. Now, that was a muddy dancer, but that's <laughs> really true. So aside from PBS NewsHour weekend, what are some of your thoughts about the news business today? I know you kind of touched on that a little bit in the previous segments, but if you could, you know, kind of elaborate on, elaborate on that a little bit more and give me and the listeners a little insight to that. Yeah. Well, it's obviously a really, right now, it's a really, really important time for the news media, and it's an important time for consumers to 
seek out information, particularly as it relates to where we are today. But I also think that there's a kind of an evolution that's starting to happen, I think, within the consumer. And this happens, uh, I think, because of the 2016 election and the ongoing conversation surrounding, quote unquote, fake news and fake postings on social media. Before, in the early days of, of the Internet, I remember as a consumer, I used to think there was such a great opportunity for you to be a kind of content snacker where you could kind of go from one table, one outlet to another, another, and figure out how you could balance your diet. I'm less and less convinced that consumers are actually do, <laughs> doing that. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know, before I had this belief of like, wow, look at the internet. You know, I can go and read the New Yorker. I can read the Atlantic. I can go read the Chicago Tribune. And I could get this like amazing cornucopia of information. But I don't think, I don't think, it, I think because I'm a journalism nerd, I'm not sure that everyone does it that way. So I actually think I, I kind of half joke about the, the PBS NewsHour. I've long said that I believe that we are the mildly seasoned broccoli on the long media buffet table and that we are. Yeah. You know, we're 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 still broccoli. It's good. It's starchy. It'll pass through you. It's got a little zest to it so you can eat it. But we're not the um, deep fried French fries on the other end of the table. <laughs> <laughs> Just to beat that metaphor to death. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. So uh, this was a really highly anticipated question for me. What are some of the pressures of working in the news business? I mean, I think everyone feels this, is that you want to, first you want to get it right, no matter what, first and foremost, factually correct. You know, I have nightmares that I've somehow overlooked something or I haven't done triple fact checks. And a lot of times I wish I could bring some of our, our critics into our post-production process because each, <laughs> each one of our pieces is watched by our senior producer, executive producer, our station lawyer, and the vice president of our station. And we go through it with a fine-tooth comb, really pick, wow. pick, pick, pick. And then we go through extensive fact checks. So that's the first one is I'm just always worried about, okay, did I get anything wrong? And then second, it's, what am I adding to the conversation? You know, I want to add something that's new or some kind of new insight or new look at something because it's, you know, you feel depressed. You're like, Oh, someone else did that story. Someone else did that story, but you want to add whatever is new in a, I don't know, intellectual and honest way. You don't want to be new just to be new, but there's a real pressure to have fresh content. I agree. You bring up a good point when you talk about, saying that someone did that story, someone did that already. I, Because I think about, especially, uh, and this will lead into my next question, but when we talk about breaking news and you're, you're looking for the most up-to-date and then you mm -hmm. see someone broke the news first and then someone comes 45 minutes later right. with the same exact thing, maybe a minor detail, a little bit more information, but not enough information to say, oh, well, yeah, that, that's that's an update. Like, no, that's not really enough. You just gave yeah. me a timestamp or something. Like, you totally. verified that. <laughs> like, yeah. like, that's what I think. I was like, oh man, I, I thought mm -hmm. this was like some new information. Like, this is just a forty-five minute status well, update, and just telling me that we don't have anything. This is still the same. I tell you though, that speed can be dangerous though. And I've I've been very fortunate yeah. in that I I don't I haven't had to do a lot of breaking news, but you see it again and again where speed really will surpass judgment uh, and there's pressure to be first and to 
to be out there. And it's just so many places have just made, I think, poor choices or maybe skipped steps that they shouldn't. Because I do think in the breaking news scenario, outside of this crazy utility time that we're in, if you're unsure of something, okay, maybe someone goes first at this point. It just seems like getting it wrong, especially in a breaking news scenario, is just far worse than getting it second. You made me think about the Kobe Bryant incident. Mm-hmm. Because prime example, TMZ broke the news first. And it was it sent a shockwave that one, they broke the news first. And two, the the backlash that did come from that because of a lot of people didn't really uh, weren't really pleased about it because of the ethics behind right. that. And yeah, like it, wasn't it that his family hadn't even been informed yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's astonishing. I remember, astonishing. Yeah, I remember I was I was out having brunch, and you know, obviously TMZ to a lot of people gossip news, mm-hmm. but I I remember sitting there and I'm like, okay, ESPN. What, what, are they, what are they doing? You know, mm-hmm. you know, CNN or uh, Fox Sports, like the the respected, the more respectable <laughs> outlets mm-hmm. that we would trust to re- re- break that news. And it's funny you meant you bring that up because yes, ESPN wasn't the first to report it, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure like it came up and they're working hard on it, trying to yep. verify everything and being cautious in their approach. Because when it did, because, I mean, everybody was waiting on it, even mm-hmm. after it was confirmed. Like, everybody's, okay, what, what is ESPN going to say? Mm-hmm. Like, ESPN, that's the, that's, the, that's the leader in sports news. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what we're waiting on because that's going to cement the news right. when you well, talk and that's, about being it's reported. A good, yeah. It's a good point because, you know, you think about reputation. And ESPN has the reputation it has. It didn't just, it wasn't just given that reputation. It built that reputation. Right. And it built that reputation by perhaps maybe making sure they got it right. Making yeah. sure, taking those steps to not get swept away by the emotion of, okay, we got to be first. We got to break this story. But being, okay, we're going to be a reputable broadcast network and we're going to make sure we get it right and i i just think so much so now more than ever getting it right is just so important because you know there is such mistrust and a lot of it is deserved of of the news media but that's why i just hope people come back to that mildly seasoned broccoli (laughs) yeah (laughs) i agree with you on that one (laughs) so i feel like when i listen when as a consumer when i i know if I'm going to listen, I'm going to listen to NPR. NPR is never they They never seem rushed They're It's a little slower and it's just not as hyper. And I just appreciate that because it's I don't need to be screamed at and I don't need to be uh, I don't need to have my alarm raised any more than it already is. I agree with you on that one. That you, it's funny you bring up NPR because. I actually listen when I get a chance because there's a bunch of different podcasts that I like to listen to. But I know NPR uh, teamed up with TED Talks mm-hmm. to produce podcasts. So I love that. And I agree with you on that one. It's, it's not rushed. It's very laid back. It's very informative and very insightful. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Right. And I, I think <laughs> I that there's, that the... there's such Go like ahead. a level a level of trust amongst the consumer there. 
where yeah. in a way it's like, okay, here's what we know. Here's what we're telling you. And we're going to let you decide. And I, I think it's, right. a res- it's a trust and it's also a respect of the consumer. Whereas mm-hmm. I just don't have that same feeling when I watch cable news. It doesn't matter what your political persuasion is, but when you see the spread of cable news, it's just so emotional and clearly coming from a perspective that's hard to shake right. at times. That's definitely true. That is very true. So I know you haven't had to deliver much breaking news, but in your experience, or at least from what you've seen from people that you work with, what is it like having to do that? It's, I mean, I've had, I've had to do a sum. I mean, I started my career in Chicago, I was with the Chicago Tribune, and it's stressful, but it's also exciting, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'd be lying if I didn't say it was exciting. When you're on a big story that's unfolding, it's uh, it can get your heart going and you're you're kind of laser focused. We the last big event like that that was kind of an imperative. I covered um, Hurricane Harvey when it came through Houston, and that was it was exciting. And you know you but you're also really focused on getting it right. Uh, like I said before, and also staying safe in the moment. And we're dealing with logistics of what's, you know, in Harvey's situation, we were dealing with massive flooding and we were getting blocked from streets and this, that, and the other. And which in hindsight, again, now thinking of the context of where we are, it's different, but yeah, you know, it, it makes, can be exciting. It, it makes me, I kind of think of it like, I don't know, when I think about breaking news, forgive me for sounding a bit ignorant, but I just imagine like the newsroom just kind of like, Okay, stop what you're doing. Yeah, you know, that does happen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when we we basically take turns, our show is kind of a a strange structure because we have a team of uh, producers and correspondent people, and we work Monday through Friday. And then we have a a other part of our show works Wednesday through Sunday because the show is on Saturday, Sunday. But we all take turns working Saturdays and Sundays. And we will have, it's funny, the breaking news side isn't necessarily running out and filming it, but we've had situations where the show is done and we're about ready to send it out into the air at say three o'clock and then a major event happens and that's where you know your heart starts beating and you have to rewrite the show and rewrite the top of it and get it ready and that's where you're one most worried about getting it right and then two the getting it out there wow (laughs) (laughs) wow that's that's Man, I, I that that is interesting. You know, I might have to go and try to find some video of like a, a breaking news scenario in a newsroom or something, just to just to kind of get a visual. Because I, I mean, honestly, I, I would love to see how, how that how that looks. I know I did a CNN tour mm-hmm. last year, and they they kind of talked about it as far as when yeah, breaking I'm, news occurs. I mean, that's their bread. That's their bread and butter. So I mean, they're probably. <laughs> I mean, but you know, the, we're 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 pretty relatively small, but really nimble. You know, everybody has is able to shift, and I often feel like you know I was very very lucky to start my career uh, with the newspaper. I started with the Chicago Tribune, and I would for about two years would be going out and I'd make a little video every almost every day and I, I just think it was such amazing training it's kind of like learning the scales of how, you know of your instrument because you just yeah. get into this mode of okay the storytelling 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 and the who what why where of it that doesn't doesn't seem to leave now i get to do these longer kind of pieces that are issue driven and things like that but it's mm-hmm. still that that baseline of straight up metro reporting is was really helpful
Wow, man, that is that's that's really cool stuff. Uh, it really is. I appreciate you, you know, taking and sharing that with me and the listeners, and really enjoy this conversation that we had, even under the circumstances that we're all under right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, so I really do appreciate you, you know, taking time out of your schedule. Uh, no, so I'm happy to do it. Come on the same show. Yeah, really quick, you know, thank you to the listeners again for you guys you know, continuing to show your support and. Uh, continue to like, share, and subscribe. Make sure to check out PBS NewsHour. You can find it everywhere. <laughs> That's right. So, because you you don't have to have cable, you don't have to have any kind of digital streaming service. You got a TV, nope. you got access to it. That's the beauty of public broadcasting. So, definitely go check it out. Especially if you're one of those people like me that needs a news source or looking for a news source that's unbiased and that's going to give it to you straight facts without all the, the fluff and all that extra stuff that you get from cable news. <laughs> Be sure to definitely check them out and continue supporting your local PBS stations as well. So, cause as they say, and it always made me feel important <laughs> when as a child, when I would watch these programs, but brought to you by viewers like you. So absolutely. Um, that's that's definitely true. So, but yeah, thank you again, Chris. Really appreciate it. Again, I definitely have to have you back on um in the future. Yes, in our new world. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever yeah. the new normal is going to be. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, stay safe. Thank you. Stay safe, all the listeners, and hope yes. everyone's yes. family is really okay. Hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. With that being said, you're listening to the same show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out.